0: For business, it's all about the people.
1: Welcome to Find Your Niche, our podcast series exploring stories behind untraditional life paths and novel business opportunities. I'm your host, Helen.
0: And it's Harry here. What are we going to talk about today, Helen?
1: Yeah, both of us have lived in China, Europe, and the US, and we're really curious about how individuals could reach different cultures through one storytelling.
0: I'm in. I bet you already have a guest in mind.
1: Once let you down. It is a great pleasure to have Robert on the show. Robert is originally from Copenhagen, Denmark, and he moved to Shanghai right after his bachelor's. As correspondent for Denmark's largest newspaper, he has published more than 40 articles on China related topics. Welcome Robert. Say hi to your audiences.
2: Hello Helen and Harry. Thank you Hello. so much for inviting me on the podcast. And thank you so much for the introduction. We are very good friends, and I think it's also lots of fun to write stories about China. And of course, the two of you are experts, and especially you, Helena, sometimes helping me with my articles.
1: Okay, thank you Robert for the introduction. It was a really bold decision to move to China because you don't have much knowledge before that, right? So how did you make that a choice and please tell me your experience before and after you're coming to China?
2: Growing up, I have actually never been interested in China. I didn't know anything about China apart from the usual thing you hear on the radio or see in the news. I was in summer school in London where I had a classmate who was Chinese and he was originally from Shanghai and now he was studying in the us and he was also spending some time in the uk and him and i became really 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 close you could say we almost fell a little bit in love and we spent lots of time discussing economics and studying but also our place of origin and uh, we spoke about china and shanghai and and then after summer school i came back and i really missed this guy and i was fascinated by all the stories that he had told me so i decided i wanted to study his language and learn more about where this guy came from and why he was so strange and exciting and different from me. So I I found an online tutor, a Chinese woman from Wuhan, actually, where I think you're also from, Helen. And and she was really, really nice. And her and I, we started doing FaceTime, Skyping with each other every single day at 6 or 7 a.m. in the morning, Danish time, before I had to go to school. And we did that for Well, one year, I think we had more than 300 hours of talking. And then she slowly, slowly taught me how to speak Chinese and how to read and write. And during the classes, we also studied a little bit of, you know, Chinese history. And she recommended me some Chinese books and movies. And then I just became totally obsessed with this country, although I had never even been there. So after studying with her for one year, I decided I wanted to do my master's in China, in Shanghai. So I called some different universities and I spoke to them in Chinese. And I say that I was a young Danish guy who had become obsessed with the country and I really wanted to go. So, could you please admit me to some of the universities? And then I was really lucky that there was a university in Shanghai, told me that I could come and and study with them. And then I just moved and lived there and decided to live there for two years, although I had never even been there and didn't know if I was going to like it or not.
0: For me, it sounds uh, amazing. I mean, although you practice Chinese with this woman from Wuhan for quite a long time and you learn about its culture a lot it's fascinating just like a few phone calls uh with the school in Shanghai got you like uh into a master's program that's actually really amazing the next thing we were interested in was about like uh impressions?
2: My impression of China changed a lot from going there. Initially, before I even began learning Chinese, I didn't really know anything. I just felt sort of China was this big country in Asia, but I, I didn't really know anything about it, so I didn't really have an opinion. Just like I don't really have an opinion about Zimbabwe or Kenya or it's just there are some countries that I just don't know anything about and I've never been there. And I don't really care about these countries because they, I don't have anything with them to do, to do with them. Then I started learning Chinese with this woman online and I really liked her and she was a lot of fun, but she was a very traditional woman. So speaking to her and she was the only one of the only Chinese people I spoke to and I spoke to her every single day for one hour. So we became quite close. And I realized that she was very I think very traditional she did not believe in sex before marriage she didn't believe in drinking she didn't like smoking she felt that girls who were flirting with boys they were ugly prostitutes and men who were doing that they were just total annoying players and she felt that well I told her I took a gap year after high school for example where I just spent some time lying on the couch reading books and traveling and she felt that was totally not serious at all and how could you waste your life and your time like that so she was a really you know very traditional very conservative different person than I was she felt that homosexuals were strange people and that religion is a waste of time so in the beginning I because all my knowledge came from her I felt whoa China is a very 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 traditional conservative strange country although I love this woman but I felt it's so different from what I'm used to <laughs> especially because Denmark is quite progressive I think especially well, at least where I'm from in Denmark but then I moved there and I started experiencing it by, for myself and I realized that maybe this woman has one way of living and maybe Wuhan is this type of city. Uh, but I mean, even Wuhan is so big and I felt everything in China was just big and I felt everything was so different. And I, I came to Shanghai and I met some some people who were totally like this professor and I met some people who were even more liberal and progressive and crazy that we are here in, here in Denmark. So slowly, my perspective sort of, instead of seeing, I think if you know very little about something, then you're very quick to judge and say, ah, that's just the way it is because that's all you know. But the more you know about something, you realize that it's much harder to label it or put it in a box or to sort of judge if it's like this or like that. After a while I started seeing China not so much as a country, but actually more as a continent or a civilization. So a little bit like people look at Europe and they look at, you know, different countries within Europe and different cultures. There's Catholic and Protestant than south and north and there are scandinavian countries obviously having lived in finland and me in denmark and then there's also totally different now i'm looking at china a little bit the same way i think it's really difficult to say what is china or what is my impression of china i have a very clear impression of shanghai i have a very very clear impression of french concession in shanghai and an extremely clear impression of anfulu which is where i lived the street in, in french concession But all of China, I mean, even just Shanghai, I think it's difficult for me to label or to to put my finger on what it actually is, because there are just so many different people, different languages, different ways of life. And I think it's really, it's much more diverse than than anything I've ever seen before. And this is also something that I love about China.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned this, um, because I feel like when you're inserted into a different culture, um, usually you have like a culture shock. That might be the initial thing you get. But as soon as you stay in that culture for a longer time uh, you get to feel that this country or this culture that you're looking at is built up by people and, and people themselves have different opinions so people are divided into their groups based on their perspective so it's hard to say like all the chinese are like this so this is uh i'm glad you brought this up
1: um, I think we all heard this background knowledge of uh, different cultures. Like you mentioned, you gained this background knowledge of China uh, from this woman from Wuhan. And um, I think there are two possibilities after you really come to live in China. Either enhance the stereotypes you already had, or other kind of possibilities that it totally change your uh, impression on China. So I'm wondering which kind would you say is your situation?
2: I would say it changed my impression totally. A few years ago, I read a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, which was one of my favorite books. And it spoke about something called Halo Effect. If you only know one thing about a person or a country or a politician then that one thing is going to cloud all of your judgment so for example if you the only thing you know about trump is that he looks silly then you're just going to think everything about him is silly if you don't know anything else so if people mention his policies or his his views on on whatever then you're just going to say ah it's probably silly if you don't know about it but the more you know the more nuanced you're going to get and and i really feel this is how it changed me from having sort of a, a little bit of a, you could say, prejudice or having a stereotypical view of China based on this one person I knew to just well not having any thoughts at all. Sometimes people ask me, "How is China?" And I really don't know how to answer them. I just say, "I don't know. <laughs> go go there, go there yourself and experience." Because uh, yeah, I, I just think it's really difficult to, to put a box on even on Denmark or Finland, it's difficult, but it's even more difficult on, on China, if not impossible.
0: Like I really appreciate the fact that like you have these thoughts, but it's even better since you write them out, right? We know like you work as a columnist for uh, Danish newspapers. Uh, but before we dig into the journalism part and the media part, uh, we're also a little bit interested. What did you want to do before coming to Shanghai? Before taking that master degree in MBA, what interested you in Denmark before coming here?
2: Well, before I went to Shanghai, I was studying uh, political science. In Economics at the University of Copenhagen. And then I was working in the Danish government, we call it student assistant, where I was doing, you know, uh, well, I was working in the policy advisor's office. So I was an assistant to one of the people helping the, the ministers making economic decisions and economic policy and oh, wow and that was actually something quite interesting and i was quite interested in, in economics and especially in politics and government and stuff like that um but then i sort of i just got caught by this china wave Will that just came to dominate my entire life Um, and i couldn't focus on anything else any hobbies and interests i just had to you know learn chinese live in china and yeah that was just came my passion and then that was all i wanted to do and um, and i didn't even care what i was going to work with i just wanted to work in china no matter what i did if it was in china then it would be fun i mean i could be a, a waiter at a restaurant as long as it was in china so i could speak chinese to the customers every day
0: i i probably couldn't even understand this passion or oriented decision myself seems very like um special i think even special for uh the young danish person as yourself but what do you think uh your experience in uh the government in uh studying political science shaped your views or help you in the journalism work you did later
2: i think it's quite interesting in my talking about this actually um because In general, I strive for my writing to be very sort of objective and not and very down to earth so that everyone can read it. I write about people. That's what I always say. I don't write about or at least I try not to write about big high-level politics and business I try and write about people you know everyday people in China that I meet and I want to listen to their opinions and their views on things and then I don't judge and I don't argue or discuss with them I just ask what do you think about A, B or C and then I write it down as truthfully as possible so I try not to be too high level and I try not to apply too many political science theories and economic models in my writing but I do think that it. It shapes me sometimes in the way that I think. I believe that having studied at university, actually no matter what you study, just gives you a much more structured approach to thinking and looking at the world, especially if you study something related to society. I mean, I'm, I'm guided a lot in, in the way I write by theories on diminishing marginal return 80/20 rules and and different things but and also when it comes to politics i i think although i don't write about what's going on politically and the big theories and why some governments want to make war and other wants to make peace and whatever although i don't discuss big theories They still sort of shape my writing. And sometimes it's good to keep in mind sort of the high level thinking. Although what you're doing is actually pretty low level. Just describing what people's thoughts and emotions on everyday topics. I don't know if that makes sense, but...
0: Well, 100% makes sense. I mean, it it relates to us, right? So me and Helen, uh, we're starting this podcast. And one of our principles or philosophies is actually try to be down to earth and talk to everyday people and get their insights. So this is amazing.
2: Including me, everyday people, getting my insights. (laughs) <laughs> of course.
1: Yeah, we are doing this podcast, but we have never I mean thought of doing journalism as a professional career. But Robert, you have been considering it seriously, right? So I'm wondering what do you find um, most exciting about being a journalist?
2: There are different parts of it. What I find most exciting about being a journalist are probably three things. The first one is the language. I simply love writing and this would not only apply to journalism but also if I was a writer of a book or a poet or whatever. I think just writing and playing with words is lots of fun and seeing how you can describe something and have a beautiful language if such a thing exists and this is something I love. Then the second thing that I love about journalism is what I write about. That is China. I think that uh, China is a topic that really interests me, and I think people really interest me. And I think that it's fun to to go out with a mindset of writing. I mean, this really it really forces you to speak to people. While normally when when I talk to you, you two, I mean, maybe we're having a conversation, but you know, mostly when you meet someone at a bar, it's just small talk and it's just you know bender. But you're not really listening to what the other person is saying, and you're not actually one hundred percent sort of committed to listening to other people's views. But if you know that afterwards you're going to go back home and you're going to write down what this person just said. I mean, then you have an obligation to really listen, listen, listen and try and understand other people. And I think that's a lot of fun. So that would be the second thing. And then the third thing is that sounds a little bit stupid, but I really love seeing my name in the paper. I really think it's so cool to go down and buy the newspaper and then my name is there and my picture is there. You could say it's a little bit childish, but I think it's Super cool to be a little bit famous in Denmark and for people to know my name.
0: <laughs> That's very cool. You did mention that uh, a lot of your audience reads newspapers. And um, I I would personally consider that as like a, a traditional media. Yeah. Well, you do observe today, both in US, China and across the world, we have like new media. Right. And what do you think like uh, the audience in Denmark? What's their preference? What's the role of traditional media and new media and where would you prefer to publish your work on?
2: Well, this is a difficult question and I'm not sure that I know what the future in Denmark will be, but I know that Denmark they are a little bit behind the times when it comes to media compared to US or China obviously. Uh, in US and China everyone is using Twitter, everyone is looking and following these blogs on Facebook or WeChat or whatever. Whereas in Denmark most people actually still go down and buy the newspaper every single day. I mean, it's quite incredible that we are 6 million people in Denmark, I think, and that 1 million people are buying my newspaper every single day. So that shows you that, I mean, at least at least one-sixth of the population, and that's just our newspaper, is reading the news physically in paper format every single day. So I think that, that Denmark is a very strange country in this way that it that people still read the news and they read traditional news, but maybe it'll change in the future. maybe more and more people are gonna follow follow China or follow the trend in the u s of just getting the news online i don't know
0: does this include young people like uh people around our age do Do these people also read like uh newspapers
2: That's a good question because young people probably do it less than older people, definitely but they still do it to some extent and at least more than in the U.S. and in China. My friends' parents and my parents, they all buy the newspaper every day. Amongst wow. my own friends, my generation, some people do it, not everyone. But looking at China, for example, none of my Chinese friends buy the newspaper in the morning in the supermarket or in the, wherever you buy newspaper.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's like an interesting observation. Uh, additional question following this is, um, so yes, you, you publish on traditional media. But the way you just mentioned, you conduct like uh, interviews, you talk to the down-to-earth people, everyday people, it sometimes feels more like um, the way uh, journalism is conducted in new media. right? It's, it's it's fast, it's down-to-earth, and you get like a fast response. At the same time, we well, have to think about it, right? You're publishing on a traditional media that reaches like Thank 1 million people on, on a daily basis. So uh, the method that you're using and the audience that is actually at the receiving and what do you think like uh, is there some like a relationship you have thought about i don't really
2: know actually i think you're right that my way of writing is maybe not traditional newspaper way of writing it's probably more more new media i actually never thought about that but i think now you're mentioning it is it, it's totally correct i can talk a little bit about the way i do uh, obviously right now i'm in denmark so it's a little bit difficult but,
0: but yeah definitely uh,
2: but but when i was in shanghai there was All of this talk about uh, the US and China and these two countries apparently hate each other and everyone is talking about the other countries. Shit and yeah, just great power rivalry or whatever. Um, And then what I did was I felt I want to know or I want to describe some Chinese people's attitudes toward the US. I thought about what should I do and I felt well I could call a... An expert on this subject, I could also go to a university and speak to some of the intelligent professors or business people. But all of these ideas were, to me, a little bit boring. So what I decided to do was to just find some US-like locations in Shanghai that included McDonald's and Burger King and kfc and there was some english corner in a park where people were practicing english and then i just went there and started asking people with my notebook so i went to mcdonald's and then i saw there was an old lonely guy sitting over in the corner and then i bought two burgers and i gave him one and i said here you go do you want to eat with me and tell me a little bit about your views on the us and uh, if you don't mind i'm going to write it down because this is for a danish newspaper And then he said, well, what do you want to know? And I said, well, Trump is doing this and that. What do you think about these things? And Xi Jinping just said this and that about the U.S. Is he right? Is he wrong? Do you think the virus originally comes from the U.S.? Do you think that U.S. people are idiots? Do you think they are angels? I mean, mean, what are your views? And then I just went around the city for an entire day spending one hour on McDonald's talking to this guy. Then I went to Starbucks, spending one hour talking to a young couple. And then I went to KFC and I went to this English corner and I just listened to people's different opinions. And then I just tried to more or less write down what they said when I came back home. This doesn't represent all of China. And it's not a very, I mean, if you want objective truth about something, then my way of doing it is probably not the best. It's definitely not following any scientific method, but it's stories about everyday people's views of, of the US or of global developments, it could also have been about something else, and this is definitely a little bit untraditional way of writing, but but I think it's a lot of fun, and maybe it's even more fun than asking to than asking some self-proclaimed expert on U.S.-China relations.
0: <laughs> yeah, we've seen probably too many of those, and uh, I guess the people's stories are sometimes more interesting. Yeah, at least that's my opinion.
1: I'm also curious about when you interview these people, what's your reaction when you're telling them that you're from Denmark? So you just
0: came to this guy <laughs> in McDonald's. I'm from a Danish newspaper. I want to interview you and like, uh, let's, let's sit down and chat about it. Like, I'm envisioning so many different types of reactions.
2: Well, I've actually been really lucky so far with the people I've met. Almost everyone has been willing to, to talk to me. Some people are a little bit scared eh, about using their real names eh, when they hear that it's going to be published in a newspaper. I don't know, maybe they are thinking that, well, who knows if someone is going to read it and won't like what they said and it's going to be a little bit of a shameful for them or who knows if the government is going to find out. Or what, I don't really know what they're afraid of, but some people want to use a different name than their own which is totally okay. And I always tell them so. I tell them that the name, the source doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was Harry or Helen or Robert who said this. What matters is that you were sitting at a McDonald's at French Concession in Shanghai talking about whatever subject was on your mind. And usually people are surprised because Actually, I mostly speak to them in, in their own language, in Chinese. I'm not the best in Chinese, but, but I speak decent Chinese. And I think they, they always laugh at that. And they always think it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to see a, a blonde guy, from, <laughs> obviously not from China, coming up and speaking to them in their own language. And then I think it's, I mean, especially old people. I love old people in, in China, at least the ones I've met. I think they have so much free time and they, the retirement age is quite early. <laughs> and they just have nothing to do. So they talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And they just really want to have something to, someone to share their thoughts with, no matter who it is. So sometimes once I ask them questions, they just keep on talking, talking, talking for hours and hours and hours. And at the end, I have to say, okay, listen, I got all that I need. I only know exactly what you're thinking about the topic. And now we've spent six hours repeating the same thing over and over again. Also girls, sometimes if I ask a, a young girl, then they always think I'm chasing them. And sometimes they think that I'm using this journalism thing as an excuse to talk to them because you know unlike a policeman i'm not wearing a badge i'm not i cannot prove 100 percent that i'm a journalist you, you know i have a press card saying that i'm a journalist but in danish yeah, so they want people to read it anyway so sometimes maybe some young girls especially shanghainese girls i think lots of shanghainese girls are very proud and they think all the boys want to, to get in their pants so they so they sometimes feel that i am just trying to chase them and they don't really want to talk to me But at least they don't want to talk to me about this subject. They want to talk to me about something else. And they think they are doing me a favor by talking about boyfriends and emotions and and work and these
0: things. (laughs) This is uh, this is exciting. I personally don't have like uh, too much experience, like interviewing people in this fashion, but maybe Helen does. Uh, One thing that comes from this, right, talking to the people is one thing. Writing your article is another. And sometimes after you write an article, you have to send it back to the newspaper. You have editors, right? Like, what's their response, right? You might have a really nice opinion, a clear-cut perspective, but maybe what if they don't approve it?
2: Sometimes that happens. I mean, sometimes I write an article and I send it in and they don't want to publish it. They just say no, because either they think the topic is boring, or maybe they think that uh, the writing is not up to the required standard, or maybe they... And, and often, most of the times, they just don't have space. You know, so many things are going on in the world every day and they oh. have to cover a little bit of everything. So often they just don't have space to, to, to print my stuff. Then other times they say, yes, they do want to print it, but there are some things that need to be fixed which is totally fine. I have a really good relationship with my with my editor. He's, an, he's a fantastic guy and he helps me a lot. And he's, for someone who didn't study journalism, but then ended up in this business, He's he's been super cool with teaching me lots of different ways of writing. And sometimes he would like me to structure the article in a different way. Or sometimes he would like me to speak to more sources or speak to different sources or the people I speak to, maybe they are too boring or maybe they are too fun. And that can also happen. And then there are also... Well, the third option which is just they like the article and they just want to print it but still they always change they always change the heading of the title of the article and i hate that the title they, yes and the uh, new one
0: fashion A example please
2: well for example i asked people about uh, i remember during the coronavirus it, it was just discovered in in china in, in in wuhan and in shanghai and some different places they discovered that there was this virus and they were dealing with it. But then after a while, I remember that it turned out that actually China had been quite good at dealing with the virus. And actually, maybe it was not as bad as we thought it might be. Or, well, in the Western world, it has been much worse than we thought. But in China, it was actually not so bad because I think the government and the people were pretty good at, at handling it. And, uh, and, you know, there were lots of technology I personally loved on, on WeChat, you could see every day how many new people were sick and where were they and how about your own neighborhood in easy, mm. any, any cases here. And then I wrote an article about this. I wanted to know, do people actually trust these numbers, this data on this yep. app? So I started asking lots of people, do you believe that China has actually been so good at dealing with the virus uh, as, they, as this app says that they have been? And some people said, yes, they trust it. Some people said, no, they don't trust it at all. And some people said, "I don't care as long as as long as I'm safe. I don't care how many people are sick." And then I wrote an article about this, and my hitting, my title was: "Some people trust the numbers, some don't, but everyone agrees that the amount of, of 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 new cases is is declining." I think something along those lines was my title. Yeah. And then two days later, I saw it in the newspaper, and it had been sort of totally changed, and it was breaking. Chinese people don't trust their own government. And then I felt like, what? And then that was because one person had said he wasn't really sure if the numbers were trustworthy or not, but he did believe that the trend was going downwards and that China was actually dealing with the, with the coronavirus in a very good way. So one person said something, but I quoted you know, five, 10 different people in the article, but this one person said something provocative, annoying, a, a cool, you know, interesting. And then that had to be the, the entire title. And that really pissed me off. Oh, wow. I, I I just feel like, you know, I understand that the newspaper, they want to sell the stories. And of course, if you see a newspaper with a big header saying, whoa, Chinese people don't trust their own government, then, of course, it's more interesting and it's more fun to buy and to read it. But, I mean, maybe it's not the truth. Or maybe it's only... Part of the truth, a very very small part of the truth. Yeah, I suppose that's just life in, in in this business in this industry.
1: Your message was kind of manipulated by the editors and turned into a kind of stereotype about China. And we already have lots of journalists writing that fashion. Like um, now, with with pro China and anti China has become a big business. Where it's your stand around this?
2: Whether I'm um, pro or against China, or t-
1: like what is the kind of message you want to deliver to your
2: Danish readers? Well, I. I want to let my readers know what Chinese people are thinking and how they are living and what's going on in their lives. And I would like, I mean, if I'm successful, if, if, if I become really good, I would hope to show Danish people that Chinese people on the other side of the world so far away are actually pretty much just like us. They are dealing with the same issues in their everyday life. That is earning money to survive, taking care of your family, raising children. They also just want to have fun, travel, eat candy, drink beer, whatever. So I hope to show Danish people the similarities between them and, and Chinese people. And, and also tell them some of the things that, that everyday Chinese people are struggling with. And, and what they're dealing with in their daily life.
0: I totally agree with that. Like, uh, that's the way I think the world should be seen. Through media, like just like a very uh, objective and transparent way. But sometimes when reading news these days, uh, this is almost like a joke. I read news and I I often burst into laughter. Like uh, I find it funny. While sometimes I watch like comedians talk, I become more serious. The reason behind is is news these days have become so radical. They're they're trying to attend to the needs of a certain population and instead of like what you did is to show the most uh, transparent and objective Chinese people to the audience. Maybe they're, these media these days, they're trying to like enhance a bias that people already have and people actually buy into it.
2: I totally agree. I think lots of media is really sort of extremist and always just chasing the most eye-catching, thought-provoking story instead of actually reporting on on the truth. But I suppose that's just the way that Businesses. i mean nobody wants to read about an ordinary saturday with robert helen and harry sitting on zoom doing a normal podcast and then afterwards everyone just went back to their everyday life happy and satisfied i mean what people want to read is whoa we did a zoom meeting and suddenly harry discovered a bomb on his bed or helen so, a killing outside on the street, or Robert was suddenly witnessing, you know, a meteor <laughs> striking the earth.
1: I really like your approach in that you're discovering um, what's behind the daily life of normal people, and you are saying that you think there are more similarities than differences uh, between normal people in China and in in Denmark, and we want to talk more about that. Yes, we too we have a lot of uh, similarities, but we also grow up from very different family backgrounds. For you, I know you have both very successful businessmen and artists in your family. So how did that influence you and um, especially with your life or career choice?
2: That's a good question. How I was influenced by, by my parents and family? Well, I'm quite lucky that my family have always given me lots of freedom. I think in, in this way, I think my life and the life of most Chinese people is a little bit different. I know that not everyone, but many Chinese are very sort of, you know, ambitious uh, also on their children's uh, behalf and they want to get top grades and be a top student and get a good job and earn lots of money. And my parents also want that for me, of course, but they have never really given me any pressure and they have never really, you know, I come from a home where we are already pretty financially Secure. My parents are not the richest people in the world, but but they are not poor, and and we don't need anything. We have everything that we need. So so there's never really been this pressure of you have to get good grades, you have to study hard, you have to earn lots of money. Also because both of my parents had very untraditional career paths. I mean, for example, my 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 father, he began working in an amusement park, just standing, you know, juggling with some balls and oh. attracting some people to come and watch his show. Uh, he dropped out of high school because he didn't like studying and then he just started working here. And then afterwards he became, I think he started working in a shop, a clothing store, selling, clothes, selling men's clothes. And then he was very good at that. And so one day he, one of his very rich friends came along and he wanted to start a new company and he needed a salesperson. So he asked my dad, hey, do you want, do you want, to, do you want to work here with me? And then my dad said, yes, I want to. And then my, he gave my dad, I think 25% of the company. And this guy, well, he kept the remaining 75%. And then those two guys started their own company together and it actually became an advertising agency still existing today. And it's one of the biggest companies in Denmark. My father didn't have an education. He never, he was not used to working hard. Well, today he still doesn't work very hard. I think he was just very lucky and he had this good friend and and he was good at selling because people liked him and he was fun and, and they enjoyed being around him. And then he was just, yeah, well, lucky enough to, to be successful. And I think this path through life, and my mom's has actually been more or less the same, has shown me and shown them that, that sometimes you can work really hard and approach everything as if it was a competition. But sometimes maybe you can also just relax and follow your dreams and passions. And then who knows what's going to happen to you. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there are many ways to be successful. And success is not only about money and good grades in school it's also just about going to bed every night and being satisfied with your life and thinking that you've had a had a good day at work or with your family or out in the park whatever you're doing yeah so so this is how my my upbringing or my parents upbringing have shaped me i think it's given me a really sort of free not pressure mindset um i never growing up my parents never ever ever asked me about how i'm doing with my homework they never asked me about my grades they just sort of let me go to school and do my thing and and of course going to school they they don't allow me to go out and party every night and cut classes but so so they wanted me to do my stuff and do my homework but but they really trusted in me to do those things and most of all they want me to just be happy growing up yeah so 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 in this way you can say that we are totally different i think many chinese can't even imagine such an, such an upbringing.
0: Yeah, I can uh, relate to that a bit. Like, uh, I basically grew up in Finland, spent seven years of my childhood over there. And uh, I would say how you describe your upbringing is a, quite similar to my experience over there. There wasn't yeah. much homework, schools were ending very early, and you had a lot of free time. Like, you'd go to a library, you go, like, do do sports and all that. But then later, I also did the second half of my education before going to college in China. And uh, it was very extreme. There was a lot of competition. So I became uh, quite interested in why there was this kind of shift of perspective between different cultures or regions. I think it might be because like there's like just too much population in China. Like people are just, they have to compete to succeed and maybe Denmark there is less of a need for this kind of strong comp- competition and you have more uh, freedom and choice of your career.
2: Could be. I think that's a, that's a pretty reasonable theory. Uh, I probably agree with that, that there are just fewer people in Denmark and so we have more choices. But I also want to say that even in Denmark, my family's approach is quite unusual. I think in general, there's less pressure in Denmark than in China. And then in my family, there's no pressure at all. So... Uh, that's quite fun. That's quite special,
0: like uh, that I can relate to. So like be, we, both lived in Scandinavian countries in our early childhood. Is that I feel like Scandinavian countries? It's a uh, if you compare it to China, and it, and when you compare U.S. to China, actually find more similarities in the U.S. culture with the Chinese culture than with Scandinavian culture and Chinese culture. I Seems t- like in U.S. people are also. Uh, quite extreme almost workaholics uh, to some degree and uh, how do you how do you find this phenomenon
2: I totally agree I think what you're saying now is something that I've started to realize myself also maybe I I discovered this a little bit later than you did because I've only recently started thinking about comparing the US and China and I think it's it's a lot of fun listening to these two countries, especially in the media, bashing each other, because actually I think those are the two most alike countries in the entire world. Yes. There are so many similarities between the US and China, at, 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 at least from, from what I know about the US and what I know about China. Obviously, I know China better than the US, but, but I just think those two countries seem really, really similar in so many different ways.
1: Um, Yes, I totally agree. But what about young people in China, U.S. and in Denmark? And we talked about this a lot before that students with kind of elite backgrounds in both U.S. and China want to work in certain industries like consulting, investment banking or tech firms. What about your peers in Denmark? What do they want to do with their life?
2: You know, in, 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 in the U.S. and in China, I don't have so many American friends, but I do have some and I have lots of Chinese friends. And they are very focused on, you know, career planning and talking about what type of industry they want to work in and what type of work they want to do in that industry and where they will be in five years, in 10 years. To be honest, I feel like most of my peers, they don't know what they want to do in their lives. And even now they are 25 years old and they still don't know. Uh, yesterday I went to one of, my, one of my good friends, a party. He hosted a party because he had just graduated from his uh, from university. He finished his master's in law. He's been studying law for five years and now he graduated. And then I asked him, so are you going to be a lawyer now? And he said, first, I'm going to have vacation and I'm going to relax for the summer after all the studying. And then when the summer is done, I'm going to think about what I want to do. And I probably don't want to work with anything related to law. And I said, you don't want to work with the law. Why not? You've spent five years studying law. That's something, you, that's what you know about. He says, yes, and exactly because I've spent five years, I'm so tired of law. Now I just want to do something totally different. And I said, okay, well, that's the same as studying medicine and then working with business afterwards because you're just tired of medicine. And he says, yeah, you could say it like that. And he's not really, I mean, he's a guy who, he, he doesn't know what he, what he wants to do. Maybe he has a job, right? Maybe he's going to find a job after graduation. And then if he has fun and if he earns money, then he's probably just going to stick with that job. If it gets boring after a while, then he's probably going to, going to find a new one i think that there are generals i don't want to speak for all of denmark because there are some danish people who are very ambitious and very or actually i shouldn't use the word ambitious because we are also ambitious i'm also very ambitious in that i want to be the best at what i do and i want to always do my best i don't want to be lazy and don't not work hard but i'm not ambitious in that i i don't have so many plans and i don't have so many such a clear-cut career path and i think that we are more I mean, our lives are more random and more spontaneous than, than than many people in the U.S. and in China, where everything is a little bit more planned, or at least they try to plan. In the U.S. and in China, I I, I don't know which approach is better. I don't know which brings more happiness, but 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 it's just different. And uh, at least in my circle of friends, we are very we're very relaxed. And let's see what happens.
0: Well, this part is uh, you talking about planning. But uh, sometimes, like, just things come to you, right? Like, either, like, you have, like, a financial situation, you have, like, a family situation, and you got no time to plan. It's okay that people don't plan and just go with the flow, but sometimes choices come to us. And I think for you, just based on how much we know about you, you're currently thinking about maybe just working as a journalist, as a side job, but also finding, like, a quite more uh like a job that to support you financially like consulting or something else so how do you how are you choosing between like a passion and like a more commonly known as prestigious career
2: my passion is obviously writing and i think that's lots of fun but uh, recently especially in china i had lots of friends who wanted to work in consulting and speaking to them i realized whoa their jobs are also pretty cool and then now i'm in denmark and then now i have these two Passions or these two interests, consulting and journalism. And I'm going to try and pursue both. I will try and, and see if I can keep on working as a journalist and maybe get a full time job there. And then at the same time, I'm also try, trying to apply for some consulting firms and, and see if I get an offer. If, if I do get an offer both from the newspaper and from a consulting firm, then great, then I can choose. If not, then I'll just, I'm sure one of them are going to work out. So maybe the newspaper gets tired of me but the consulting companies want me then i'm going to do consulting or vice versa i'm not really i think i'm really lucky that i have these found these two interests and both jobs sounds sounds like lots of fun um of course you might earn a little bit more money during consulting but the job is definitely more fun being a journalist so there are pros and cons and and and, and it's difficult for me to choose i think I think life is going to choose for me. But
1: because of COVID-19, your plans to work in China has been interrupted. And how do you feel about that? Like a lot of uh, uncertainties in the future?
2: Yeah, I think that's so annoying. COVID-19 changing well all of my plans, basically. Mm-hmm. I was planning to stay and live in China for at least a few more years, maybe forever, who knows. And I was not so worried about what I was going to work with in China because, well, just living in China was lots of fun and I was just happy. But then due to the virus and some family issues, my father got sick. Thank God he's recovered now. But then I had to return back home and quit my job in China and say goodbye to all my friends. And of course, initially, this was a really big disappointment. Originally, I spent two years studying Chinese almost every day. Then I spent two years living in China. So that's four years of my life. I've spent chasing this China dream and then I had to leave just, just like that. And, and China has closed its borders now, so it's not really possible to go back. Um, you haven't
0: heard any new news
2: on it? I'm actually following it every day because I still have hope to go back. And I know that there are some flights going back and forth between some countries. I think that's Germany and China and New Zealand and China. But then these flights are like one flight per week, and it's only for you know, special people, either Chinese people who are overseas or people who work for the government and stuff like that. I think a a normal guy like me, I cannot really get a visa right now. And I don't know when I'm, when it's going to be possible, but that's okay. You know, that's life. And now I have to plan and come up with some new ideas. and, and, And in some ways, maybe it's, it's for the best. Now I'm back here in Denmark on holiday, and I can sort of figure out what I want to do with my life and try and pursue these two passions, journalism and consulting, or I might also discover a third passion suddenly and then see what happens. And, you know, maybe later in life I can go back to China. I don't know. Maybe I can come back already next year for holiday or for work. Maybe I'll stay in Denmark for a few years and just enjoy life here and then I can come back. I don't really know what's going to happen, but I'll definitely keep up my my interest in China and, and, and speak to my Chinese friends, including you. Yeah, and I, I feel that my Chinese adventure is not It's not over yet. It's just on a hold. And I think that the second phase, stage two, is going to be a lot more fun. Yeah. So let's
1: see. I'm really amazed that every time you talk about China, like China is a wonderland to you. And actually I think that's what most Chinese people think about Denmark, you know, this distant romantic small country in Nordic regions and also Little Mermaid and fairy tales, imaginations or misunderstandings between those two countries.
2: I mean, I love Denmark and mm-hmm. I can totally see why many many Chinese people and other people like Denmark. I mean it's the country where I grew up, where I've lived my entire life. Copenhagen is very beautiful. Danish people are, in general, nice. Me and my friends are pretty nice. And, the, and, and, and it's a fun place to be. But I, I also like China. And China has some different things to offer. There's more to discover in China. Quality of life, objectively measured by, you know, the amount of leisure time, free time, the, the salary that people earn standard of education in general, not everywhere, but in general, it's higher in Denmark than in China. So on these objective measures, you could say that Denmark quality of life is higher here, but there's just more. I mean, especially if you're a young person, there's just more to, more to discover and more to do in China. It's fast paced. There, are, It's diverse. There are different people, different ideas. I mean, Harry, you mentioned something about the competition because there are so many people. I think that's really yeah. a really good point. I think in, in China, there's just, you know, there's so much to learn and to discover and it's so easy to grow. So I think for someone like me, who has, in Denmark, we have a saying called that means you have fireworks up your butt. And that means that you just cool. want to discover things and you have a lot of energy. and And for someone who wants to explore the world, I think... China just has much more to offer than Denmark. But maybe that's because I'm from Denmark and you're always a little bit biased against your own your own country. I would
0: partially agree with that. Like uh, talking to some Finnish friends that I had before, we can still find each other on Facebook, I've come to realize uh, not all of them are still in Finland anymore. They have like uh, either maybe moved to like Germany, or the Great Britain, the UK, for, for just for jobs, right? And the reason behind that is, for them, it's similar to what you just said. They find, like, maybe the life over there a little bit more fast-paced, a little bit more exciting, uh, more things to do, more international cities. Yeah. But, like, uh, maybe when they consider about, um, is there a place I want to spend the rest of my life uh, after I have retired? and they would probably consider Finland or Denmark themselves because it seems like a really nice place to, um, to sit in a couch and just or go on a boat on a lake. Yeah. So there seems like, uh, the level of attraction from these more international cities or, or you could call China or U S is different for, uh, like the uh, Scandinavian or European people. And, uh, I would think like these type of attraction usually also causes the population uh to move like people would try to ch- chase their dream like for your dreams to china dream but for others it's different. So yeah. do you have a thought on this?
2: No, I think what you're saying is 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 pretty accurate and I I think I agree that that for different stages of your life you have different needs and wants and I think that you're right that in China, everything is just, there's just more of everything. There are more people, there's more food, there's more music, there are more things to discover. I mean, you, you know, I, I had a period where I was really interested in, in Chinese poetry and I started reciting some different poems and I just discovered that, you know, there were so many poems. And, and first I bought a book about the 300 Tang dynasty poems and then I read it and then you know, on the page, on the final page, there were references for six other books with, you know, 500 other poems. And I just think that's, that's that just, that's China. You know, you go to a restaurant and there are so many dishes and so many thing, different things to choose from. There's so many different cities, so much different nature. There's just, you, you know, China just has much of everything. And, uh, and I'm, I have a really big appetite for life. I'm really hungry, and I want to explore and learn things. and And I feel I have I have so much to learn, um, and that's why that's why I prefer China. But but you're right. Different stages of life. Maybe as I grow older, I'll I'll become tired of China either because I'm old and I want to settle down, and I think it's easy, maybe at that point I'll think it's easier to settle down in Denmark than China. It could also be because I'm just sort of full. I'm just getting bored. Which, I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen? But I could I could totally see that, that my interest might change in the future.
1: Yeah, I feel like people are always chasing after what they don't have and what they haven't experienced yet. And for me, I feel like growing up in China is really stressful and competition everywhere. And I kind of enjoy my life here in the US that I think is much more peaceful and I can really chill and relax. But for you, it's quite opposite because it seems like you have a lot of Led your time in Denmark, and now you really want to work
2: hard. Yeah,
0: you have similarities. You both have like a big appetite for life.
2: That is true. And there are many ways to work hard. Working hard doesn't have to mean that you you work from nine to nine, six days a week. It could also just mean that you you read a lot of books or you go running a lot and you discover stuff. And what I don't like is just doing nothing mm-hmm. and wasting time and being bored and being on Instagram all day. I think uh, I like to be active and do something and it could be related to work it could be related to friends or sports i just travelling i just think it's it's fun to yeah to get something out of life
0: like when when you say you want something to do it's not only like probably like physically getting tired i'm sure you want to be like intellectually satisfied
2: right of course so i'm a big fan of running and i run a lot and a few years ago i read a book about running by the japanese author uh, Murakami. And mm. he, uh, he likes me. He runs lots of marathons and, he, and he's a much better runner than me. Although he's, I think he's almost 70 years old or something, but he's, he's in super shape. And he writes this book where he says that there are three things that he tries to do every single day. Do something for his heart, for his brain, and for his body. So for his heart, that could be spending time with friends or family, telling your, your wife that you love her or your children or your friends. So doing something nice to other people And have other people do something nice to you. For your brain, that could be read an exciting book, traveling to a new place, or doing something intellectually stimulating at work, just like you said, a podcast like you two are doing right now. And then for your body, it could be, you know, going for a long walk, playing a little bit of football, or, or going for a run. I'm not as disciplined as Murakami. I'm sure I don't manage to do all three things every day, but but I think it's a really cool th- thought and I want to do the same.
1: I know that you enjoy doing many different things at the same time, but what if you can only do one thing and re- achieve one goal for your life? What, what would that be?
2: Maybe read books or spend time with friends. Those are some of my favorite activities. If I could only choose one activity to do for the rest of my life, it would probably be sit in a room full of friends with my book, reading and Sometimes looking up at all the people I love and just smiling and being happy. And then I would just sit there for the next 100 years.
1: Thank you, Robert, so much for joining us today. And to our dear audiences, please find our man, Robert Online.
0: Check out his writings, check out his stories on China. Fun perspectives, guaranteed.
1: And we will see you next time on Find Your Niche.